others. Hey, we're recording. Okay, recording is in progress. Um, hi, I'm Sarah Rudolph, and I'm totally technologically um, competent, uh, usually. I, uh, I've actually been teaching online for a lot of years since before it became cool with the, with the pandemic. So um, I should be able to handle this, alas. Uh, anyway, it's a pleasure, as always, to um, be learning with Webishiva and especially this very um, excellent initiative to have a series on the, on the steps of the Seder. Um, last year, I got to talk about Hallel. So Sarah, I guess I'm backing up to Baruch. Um, Although if you were with me last year, you'll know that Baruch is kind of in between Hala. Um, anyway, that's for another time. The, yeah, so we're going to start off. The thing about Baruch is that it's a little bit of a funny thing to put in the Seder. Uh, first of all, we'll start off my first page on the handout here. Hopefully you can see it. Um, basically, I was amused. I, you know, just for, for fun, I like to see what Google has on things sometimes. So I Googled Steps of the Seder. Uh, Martha Stewart has, a, has an article about it. Um, so really everyone, you know, the, that kind of stood out to me as an indicator of how um, prominent the Seder is and how, you know, the steps of the Seder, we all know this, this is something that's talked about everywhere. Um, to my knowledge, Martha Stewart isn't Jewish, but, you know, she has it, but her website has a whole list of it. Of course, there are links to recipes and things like that, um, which makes sense. So we have towards the end of the Seder, right, obviously, because it's after all the eating, all the talking and the eating, um, we have the Athikomen in Safun, and then we have Baruch. And basically, the description on the Martha Stewart website just says the leader recites uh, a series of blessings said after meals. It's interesting. In my tradition, we all say it, uh, not just the leader. And a series of blessings said after meals, right, called Birkat HaMazon, which is always, right, and the third cup is poured, also drunk at the end of that. Um, and then it's interesting, if you look in different Haggadahs, this is totally not my topic or anything that we're going to analyze or talk about today, but it's an interesting kind of thing um, to see how different Haggadahs divide things up at this point, because we bench, we drink the cup, and then we open the door and we say, right? pour out your wrath among the, the nations who are our enemies. And we, um, so it's, you know, interesting to see the different Haggadahs I've, I've noticed um, kind of combine that and opening the door with Barich, as the as the list does here, or as part of Hallel, um, I saw one Haggadah that labels it as turning the page, um, you know, sort of naming that a transition without really assigning it to either Barich or Hallel, which almost makes the most sense to me, um, because a lot of the commentaries that I that I have come across sort of want to know, well, one second, what's this doing in Barich, or what's this doing in Hallel? Um, so it's an interesting approach to sort of you know, get rid of all of those questions by calling it a transition and turning the page, although then you still have to ask, well, why is this a transition, transition right? So, you know, the, the earlier stage of the Seder, I think, I think in some ways are much more defined. Um, and Barich, we think would be very defined, right? Bench, um, save your Amazon, just like we always do. Um, but we always still have, still have some questions and even some possible blowing of the lines, even when, with something that's actually called Seder, right? It's called order. Um, supposed to be very organized and step-by-step. We still, Baruch Hashem, always have questions to address. Um, my primary question that I want to try to address with you, and I think there are a lot of different ways that we could go about this, and certainly much more to say than I will say um, today. But the question is, isn't Baruch just Baruch, right? You're, you know, we. Um, it almost seems like a strange thing to have as a separate that label as a separate step of the Seder, right? It's a regular part of eating, so we have Shulchan Aruch. 
right? We have, we eat the apicomen. So I guess if we want to call the apicomen its own step, then we're separating to some degree the meal and the grace after meals. But in essence, it's a thing that we do always after we, after we, um, after we bread or in this case, matzah. So what is it that, you know, we're doing here? Here, what is it about Baruch that makes it, you know, part of the Seder in its own, um, you know, separate, distinct way? Um, so part of that is that it is special Pesach. We connect it to one of the four cups of wine, right? There's a, it's an obligation to have four cups of wine at the Seder um, connected to the four different terms of redemption in Sukkim in Shemos Perak Vav, um, ch- chapter six. I didn't put that on the handout. Um, so we have, and each one of those cups has all connected to a mitzvah, right? So there's one that's connected to Kiddush, right? Which again, is a typical sort of thing. If, if I were doing Kiddush, we might talk, if, if, you know, our topic were Kiddush, I might talk about why is Kiddush, you know, a step of the Seder, right? That I think is more understandable on the face of it because it's obviously a special thing for the, for the Yom Tov, right? Even if it's not unique to Pesach that we would say Kiddush, it's certainly unique to Yom Tov, right? But benching we do all the time. Right? But okay, so number one, it's connected to one of the four cups of wine, which we might talk about a little bit more later. Um, on the other hand, right, so, so on hand, it becomes part of the Seder ritual that way, right, by being connect, by being the mitzvah that's attached to cup number three. But I think um, where we might dig in even further than that and get some depths, depth of analysis and ideas and get our, you know, sort of Pesach thinking juices going um, is really what we should always be doing, right? To think about what we're saying and think about some themes, right? And look for, look for themes, look for ideas and see if we can connect them to the Seder. It's an interesting sort of thing. You know, people joke about rabbis um, or really anyone who gives a Tartara on any occasion, right? Oh, what's the Parsha? Okay, what's the occasion? Let me find something, you know, I, I can connect anything, right? Um, I used, when I taught high school, I would occasionally, you know, I had my students were all angels, but occasionally I would find someone studying for math in Nubby class or, you know, something like that. And I would challenge them to connect what they were studying that they weren't supposed to be uh, to what we're learning, right? Make it a learning experience. Okay, we're supposed to be learning Navi, we're supposed to be learning Gemara, whatever it was. Uh, so tell me, right? Show me that you're thinking, right? If you're going to pay attention to some other subject in my class, at least, you know, make it make it part of my class then. And show me that you're thinking about what we're supposed to be learning here today. So we could do the same thing, right? Obviously, we are supposed to bench at the Seder. It's not like studying for your math class when you're sitting in Navi, but it's... Um, but certainly, you know, if we can sort of stimulate our, our thinking juices again, um, we can say, okay, how am I going to make this, right? Is Birkat Hamazon, does it have an integ- integral connection in a way that is special for Pesach? Maybe I can find, maybe I can create some connections that will deepen my appreciation, that will deepen my kavana, um, that will deepen what it is that I'm doing when I do this, you know, very regular, not special mitzvah. Of course, it should be special. It should be special all the time, right? We could play this game any day of the week, right? You know, certainly on holidays, right? What is it? You know, I'm, be- I'm benching just like I always do, blah, 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 right? No, we could look at what we're saying and think, okay, how does this connect to me at this moment in my life, right? So how does it connect to this moment at the Seder, right? I'm sitting at the Seder. How am I going to think about benching and what I'm doing in benching in terms of what it is that I'm doing at the Seder? And then it's not just, you know, an incidental connection, oh, I eat, so I have to bench, but then it can really become part of our Seder experience, hopefully. Um, so certainly there are a lot of things to say. Again, you know, we can create connections anywhere, right? There are lots of ways to to um, think of connections. One rabbi presented with 
a certain, you know, Parsha and occasion, you know, bar mitzvah or, or a wedding or whatever it is, will come up with one connection. Someone else will come up with another connection. They might all have truth to them. They might, might all have depth and meaning. Sometimes it's a stretch, right? But to some, but to the person who comes up with it, it's really deep. It can really be deeply meaningful. Um, those we're going to try to do. So again, I'll suggest some things. Um, we'll look at a few things also that might be actually unique to the um, Amazon at the Seder. We did. You know, we're a little short on time. Uh, from start from technological difficulties, and I'm always short on time anyway because I always have too much that I want to say. Um, as you'll see if you get a look at how long this handout is, obviously we're not going to talk about all of it, um, but we'll see what we what we can do together um, today with all of that introduction. So we're going to start with the basics, right? If we want to think about your Katamazon as itself, and then and then relate it to the Seder. Um, so think about your Amazon as itself, right? What we start with, we start with what's the idea, right? What's the origin of this idea of grace after meals? And there are really two things, right? There is the origin, or three things actually, if we want to think of the origin of your Amazon, we can think of the idea of it, right? Where do we get this idea to thank God after after we eat? We can think about the obligation of it, right? Not just the basic concept, hey, that's a nice idea, but okay, you have to do this nice idea. And with me, we also might think about the text, right? And that's what we're going to do. With these little blue highlights to guide us. Um, so the first step one is the idea, right? So people like to trace the basic idea of Birkat Amazon of saying the grace after meals to Avram. Right? And this is um, Midrash in Tanhuma and Lachlacha um, talks about Avram welcoming people to his home. Right? The Pasuk, you know, sort of bases uh, where the Midrash connects that this idea that Avram would invite passers-by in and give them things to eat, give them something to drink. And it says, they would bless him, right? It's interesting. Always a good question. What does bar, the root barich even mean, right? That's another thing we could have, you know, that would, be, that would have been another angle I could have taken. And that's the thing about what it means when we say bless, right? What does that mean? Um, but okay, whatever it meant, right? Presumably, it seems in context, like it means some kind of sort of like, thank you, right? I appreciate this, right? You did something good for me. Um, so they would acknowledge him in some way. And he'd say, what? Leatan Mavarchim? You're blessing me? Right? No, who should you bless? No one might say both. Right? I try to get that to my kids. Right? Sometimes it's happened on occasion that I'll say, you know, my kids will say, wow, that was that was good. Right? It doesn't happen often. But occasionally they might say the dinner was good. And, you know, at some point when one of them was little, I don't I remember, you know, sort of saying, oh, and, you know, what should we do if it was good? Should we just maybe say thank you? He said, yes, thank you, Hashem. I said, okay, yes, you should definitely thank Hashem, right? You could also thank the human being who put some effort into this. Um, so really, we might want both, but certainly what Avram was trying to say was to de-emphasize the thinking him, which is more obvious on a human level, and <laughs> introduce the idea of introducing, of blessing the Baal Habayit, Right? I'm the Baal of this Bayat, maybe. I seem to be. But really, who's the Baal of Bayat? Who's the real master of the house? Um, who gives food and drink to all mankind? The one who gives life? Right? You should bless him. And they would say, oh, oh so, you know, who is he? Right? Where is he? How should I, how should I bless him? Right? And they would sort of ask questions. Ooh, interesting concept, Abraham. Um, and he would answer them, right? He would lead them, introduce them to this idea, and give them a text to say even. Right? Which we can see. They, it's interesting. The, the text of the Midrash is um, ascribes Tavram here, Baruch Hashem HaMabarach Le'olam Ba'ed, Baruch Nosein Lechem HaMazon L'chol Basar. So we can see hints to a couple of different parts of our liturgy in that. Um, you know, it sort of comes from different parts of our liturgy. Um, 
We bless the Lord who is blessed for all eternity. Blessed be he who gives bread and food to all his creatures. Right? And that's how Abram would teach people about God. Okay, very nice. So that's the idea, right, that people like to point to. Thousands of years ago, Abram had this great idea. He introduced it to people, right? We should thank God, not just each other, who provide, you know, you know, provide the food visibly, but recognize that there's somebody behind it. And in terms of the obligation, right, that thousands of years later, um, centuries later, comes the obligation, not just this is a nice idea, hashkafic idea to teach passers-by, but okay, now it's a mitzvah, right, for the Jewish people at least. Um, I'm going to note, as I noted here, um, you'll see these like gray-shaded texts and also the text itself of the benching that is actually, um, the gray-shaded bits like that, I'm actually quoting myself. Um, it was an easy way for me to sort of get some text into here was to copy from a venture that I made um, first for my, for my daughter's bat mitzvah, and then it was revised for my son's bar mitzvah. Um, God willing, we have another one coming up, so we're going to need the third edition. Um, I'm on the lookout for typos. Feel free to mention any um, that need that need fixing, but that's what this is. So it's, you know, just happens to have been written by me, and I think it was easier to cut and paste than, than start from scratch. What's the source of the obligation? So it's Pesach in the Torah. It says, Right? Eat, be satisfied, bless. That's, that's the order, right? That's the sequence of events. The Torah says to bless after we bread. Uh, according to some opinions, that includes the seven species of Israel. That the blessing after those is also from the, based on this um, Pasuk and is considered a Torah obligation. And Chazal, the rabbis, added the requirement to bless before eating. And also to bless after all foods, and even not even those not included in the Torah obligations. So when I say, you know, when I bench after bread, that's a Torah obligation. Well, maybe not when I do. That's a whole separate discussion. When man does, um, then it's a Torah obligation. When or you know, saying al after a nice big piece of cake, um, Torah obligation. Saying Fashos after a can of soda um, is derabanan, right? That's so Gemara um, talks about that. Gemara is a little bit involved, so I didn't want to put it on there. I just used my summary. We have a question, right? <clears throat> we'll get now. Start with start with the Haggadah sources. Um, and Rabbi Sachs, um, I'll have a few excerpts from a few different Haggadahs here uh, <clears throat> from some of the, the things I've been looking into. So Rabbi Sachs asks, why is grace after meals biblical when blessing before meals is only rabbinic? And he bases his answer basically on one of the explanations given in the Gemara. Um, he says that to thank God when we're hungry is natural, which is an interesting formulation. Uh, I think what the Gemara says is to bless God when we're hungry, right? That's what that's the you know fuzzy word bless that we use that doesn't we don't necessarily know what it means. So he uses thank here. Um, I think maybe appeal to God, right, in some way, right? I'm hungry. I feel my dependence on God, so I thank Him for you know the things that um, He's about to provide because I appreciate it, right? Something along those lines. Um, and to thank Him when we're seated is more difficult. Because it is precisely when we are most likely to forget what, that we that we need reminding that what we have we have from God, Creator and Sustainer of all. So it's a fairly straightforward point um, in terms of this, in terms of that idea, you know, that piece of it, right? And this is something that comes up in Devar, and I think we'll mention it again later. Um, the idea that you know, if you eat and you're satisfied, right? Ah, oh, I feel satisfied now, right? I'm I'm all good. Thanks, God. Right? I don't need you. Right? It's um. My husband reminded me the other day of a of a joke, or maybe it's a midrash even. I'm not sure where it comes from. Um, the guy says, you know, it's in a difficult situation. He says, God, you know, save save me. I'll do anything, right? 
and the salvation starts to come, whatever the situation is. I remember, um, you know, he's on the roof and it's flooding, right? Something like that. And and he says, you know, and he sees that things are okay now. Okay, thanks, got it. No, never mind, I got it from here, right? So he doesn't want to do the thing. Um, it's very easy when we have what we need to ignore that it actually came from Hashem, right? And we actually do need Hashem. So that's is at that point when we're when we've eaten already um, that we need to remember that yes, this you know my my satisfaction here, my comfort here is actually from Hashem. I didn't do this on my own. Um, that's why it's a it's a it's mandated to do that to remind because we need that reminder. Um, so could there be a connection in that? Right? Have we found maybe a connection to the seder? Um, so please, you know, by all means, um, please feel free to share thoughts or questions or ideas or connections with that. Um, I'm just going to talk, <laughs> but in the meantime, but definitely, you know, keep that going. I'll try to keep an eye on it. Um, so he said, so what I would suggest, right, what comes to my mind seeing this is interesting because this line of, from the Rabbi Sachs Haggadah could have been in any venture, right? It could have been in a sitter, right? It's a, it's a commentary on benching, this part. But when I see it in the context of the Haggadah, what I'm now thinking is, oh, when I'm seated, right? What's it? What do we do at the seder? We have shulchan aruch, and then we have safun, and we're supposed to eat the apikomen and safun al hasova, right? We're supposed to be full. It's a delicate balance. We don't want it to be disgusting, right? It's supposed to be al hasova, but not achil agasa. Remember correctly. Um, but we want to really feel satisfied, and then have the apikomen, and you know, so sort of in you know, increased satisfaction, right? I'm really sated now, right? Not too uncomfortably, but really sated. And there's a lot of discussion about why that's a requirement. Um, but I think, you know, again, looking at this in the context of the Haggadah, suddenly you have a new kind of perspective and a new angle. I think maybe one element could be this idea of feeling very comfortable and still remembering that it's from Hashem. And to my mind, um, this is something that I think I've spoken about in past classes. If you want to take a look at the archives, um, and definitely that I've written about and given cheer I'm about elsewhere, um, that I think is really part of a broader theme of the journey from Egypt to Israel. And the um, <laughs> that we're going from Egypt represents a, and Tanakh represents a reliance on nature, on the Nile, right? They have the Nile, they don't eat God, right? Now they call the Nile a God, right? They're related to it, perhaps as such, but the Nile overflowed regularly every year. There's a certain sense of comfort and independence that's conveyed by that, or is represented by that. Um, then they go from that sort of atmosphere to the Midbar, right, to the desert where they have nothing and no, no Nile, certainly, right, no rain, and they're relying on God to drop food from the heaven every morning, right, and it's direct reliance on God, and then to go from that to, right, from reliant, from no God to all God to then the happy medium, right, the, um, synthesis, um, in the land of Canaan, when they get there, and now they have to work nature, right? Be involved with nature, put in the effort, but not just to you know move some water around because the water is always there. But it's right; it's not like Eretz Yisrael, the Pesukim Dvarim says. But it's it's a land that needs that you could just like irrigate with your foot. It's a land that needs rain, right? And God is watching it. So so we're moving from it. That's exactly what we're doing, right? That that idea of having the natural food, right? Having natural produce, working for it with our own efforts, having it from the ground, right? But recognizing that that's from Hashem, right? And sort of combining all of that, um, finding that balance. That's that's the challenge, right? And that's in, sort of represented by the whole process of going from Egypt 
through the desert to Eretz Canaan. So that, I think even there, right, even that basic idea of benching, right, of grace after meals is already, we can kind of spin it and get a deeper appreciation, deeper connection to the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, right, and what it is that we're commemorating at the Seder. And we move on, um, prelude to Birka Mazon, kind of, right, is uh, <laughs> with the Zimun, right, and wouldn't necessarily be some, seem like something that we need to mention here, except that, um, so we have the basic idea of Zimun, right, that the three I wrote in my venture individuals, one of the main motivations for creating our own venture um, was to be able to put in the option for a women's Zimun, uh, so I have a whole little halachic, um, you know, sort of introduction to that, but it's the, uh, so I wrote that very carefully, right? Mishnah states that when three individuals eat as one, they're obligated to let me, what does that mean? So we pass in that it's three men, that three women have the option. Um, the Gemara talks about where we get this idea of having an invitation to bench. Um, there are two psukim that are suggested in each one. The basic idea is that we see the idea of calling out to others to praise God together. Right, so if one person is doing the calling, and they're addressing others plural. That must be at least two. So one plus at least two means is at least three. Right, I can do that much math. So that's the basic idea of Zeman. Like, and the um, and it happens that the commentaries in the poskin um, in connection with Pesach, in connection with the Seder, and commentaries on the Haggadah, I'll talk about this idea that on Pesach, on Seder night, it's specifically um, appropriate to make a special effort to have a Zeman. There's a lot of discussion about whether you should therefore like go house, you know, house hopping um, to help each other make a zima. And the Mishnah Vera points out very um, wisely that you can just think ahead and invite some guests and not do this house hopping thing, which creates all sorts of lovely questions. Uh, so it's a good, you know, it's a good reason to start thinking about Seder guests, which I have not started thinking about that. Um, but Mishnah Vera said to yeah. So it's this idea to go to make sure, right, to make a special effort to have zima on the Seder night. Why is that? So it turns out, and I took this from the Ravimon Haggadah, because um, it's a nice summary in English, that throughout the year, there's no requirement to seek out the people who ate together for your home. So I'm certainly want to have the opportunity to do this mitzvah of Zimun if we can, um, but there's, but nobody says you have to like go out of your way to find to find three to create a Zimun. Um, but on a Saturday night, it's preferably to have three men recite your Amazon together um, be, so they will be partners in reciting Hallel. So it's an interesting thing that now we have maybe a connection between benching and Hallel because it's the post can talk about making sure you have three for a Zeman, right? So you can have bench with a Zeman on Seder night. It's, there's one opinion that I saw that suggests that there is an inherent um, Zeman reason for, for Zeman Pesach thing going on here, the Prisha. I apologize, I haven't put any of this in English. Um, it's one of the reasons I put the Ravimon excerpt in English, so that's there. Um, but the, the Prisha suggests that maybe the reason to make a special effort to have a Zimun present at the Seder is that you're going to be benching over the coasts, and, which is an obligation, right? The four cups of wine are an obligation, and you're going to be saying your grace after meals attached to a coast, but really, you should be doing that, really generally speaking, we have the coast with the Zeman, right? Really generally speaking, one or two men who are bench who are eating on their own, right, without a third, don't bench with a cup with a cup of wine. Now on Pesach we do, but the preacher suggests maybe the reason to make a special effort to have a Zeman present is to sort of do it properly, 
right? Do it properly like we always do, which almost takes this um, special Pesach thing and makes it into a not special Pesach thing, right? It's into, you know, we want to do it the way we always do it. Um, others, though, talk about what Rob Ramon mentioned, which is this connection to Hallel. Um, but what we want is actually not necessarily, it's not necessarily about having the Zimun per se, but you want to make sure that you have those three so that you can say Hallel together. Why is that? Because what we do with what we want to do with Hallel, and like the best way to say Hallel, as you know, was one of those things that often has bugged me um, or challenged me over the years um, when davening at home with a sitter that is clearly intended or assuming that you're in shul with a with a minion. Um, so it talks about you know certain responsive parts of Hallel, and you don't always get instructions for what to do if you're saying it not responsively if you're saying it. On, on your own at home, right? Just read through it. Is there anything you should repeat in that case, right? Um, but there are these parts of Hallel, right? Hodu and Anashem that we tend to say responsibly. And the idea is that we'd like to be able to do that at the Seder. Um, I'm going to do at the Seder. So the, let's get this. Um, and we see that the different you know, commentaries on the on the Torah and the Shulchan Aruch talk about this. Um, Shabura says that's the reason. And it says, uh, I'm just reading the Shabura now. The sages have agreed that this idea that you should specifically make a specific effort to have a zimun at the Seder, it's not because of your Karamazon itself. Because for that, there would be no reason to make a special effort any more than any other day of the, of the year. It's talking about Hallel, right? Now, usually, right, if you're with me for my for the class on Hallel last year, you'll be have a heightened sense, and maybe you do all, anyway. Uh, you have a heightened sense that of the uniqueness of Hallel at the Seder, in that we are saying it in our houses, sitting at the table. We split it up. We're not saying it with a minion, right? We're not saying it as part of davening, standing up. Right? There's a lot that's different about that, that Hallel. Um, but one of the things that we do try to do with Hallel is uh, to have that responsiveness. Right? So, so, that, so that, that's what we're trying to get at the Seder as well. And that's, why it's, and that's the actual reason that we want to have to be preventing, not really preventing, but so we'll have them for Hallel. Why? Because, again, part of one of the psukim that we actually say in Hallel is, this, is given as the source for it, Midrash Tehillim. Pasuk says, Hallelujah, right? We're calling it, right? Hallelujah, praise, and it's a plural word. So you have the same, just like the sources for having three individuals participate in a zibun, right? We have one calling out to others to praise God, right? So hallelujah, praise, you, plural, praise, and I'm the one talking, right? So I'm one, and at least I'm talking to at least two because I'm using the plural, so that's three. And we want to be able to do that as our hallel. We want to be able to call out to each other, right? To have one person calling out to others um, to praise Hashem together. So it's actually a whole interesting discussion also in terms of um, one of the other unique things about hallel at the Seder is that women are obligated, right? Usually women are said to be exempt from hallel. Might be different on the days of Pesach, of the first two days of Pesach. Also might be different on Hanukkah, um, women, you know, there are some opinions then that maybe women have more of an obligation, but typically, or fundamentally, we kind of assume that women are exempt from Hallel, but on Seder night, we're not exempt. Um, and that's a whole discussion in itself. But one ramification 
that is interesting here is that it could be that um, the men and women, whereas we can't, we are not halakhically counted together, according to the vast majority of opinions that I've seen um, for Zimun, that perhaps we could, um, you know, sort of participate together in this call and response for Hodu, right? Calling out for Hodu because women have the same cleave in this halal as men. Uh, now there are some who question that, right? That specifically having the woman call out and men respond is frowned upon in the Gemara. So I'm not going to give any halakhic sack here, but these are all fascinating discussions in the context of our benching and the, again, kind of gray area, right, between the very organized delineated steps of the Seder. And yet we have this gray area where we're saying, look for a zimun, you know, try to get a zimun for a benching so that you'll have it for halal, right? Um, okay, so that's the, so much for beginning of benching. Now we have, right, we talked about the origins in terms of the basic idea of thanking God after we eat, we talked about the origin in terms of the uh, obligation, right, Pasuk source and how Pasal understand it, um, that we have a mandate to thank God after we eat. Now what about the text, right? So the essence of Birkat Amazon, as I wrote in my venture, um, consists of four blessings composed of different moments in Jewish history. So the Gemara tells us that, that comes from the Gemara and Bracha uh, 48b, Amar of Nachman, Moshe Tikin the Israel, Brach Birkat Hazan, Bisha Sheirad Lahem Haman. Says the so Nachman says the first bracha of, of Birkat Hazan was instituted by Moshe because um, he's talking about food, right? It's Birkat Hazan is the is the blessing of food, and the Moshe instituted that blessing or composed it when the man fell, right? Um, and they and you know the helpful um, Shinezalt's sort of translation and commentary here adds in man fell and they needed to thank God, right? So we need to thank God. Moshe wrote a blessing. Blessing number two, Yoshua instituted when they entered Eretz Israel. We call that the blessing of the land, right? Birkat Eretz. Um, and number three, David and Solomon instituted the third blessing, who builds Yerushalayim. And yeah, they each wrote some of it because David didn't actually build the temple, but Shlomo did. So they you know, each wrote part it's based on their own experiences. Um, and then the fourth bracha, the Gemara says, Right, was instituted later, right? This is all in the times of Tanakh, so like much later, and in the time of the Bar Kokhba revolt, um, when Beitar was was destroyed, and they it turned out that they were they were not able to go in and bury the people who were killed there, um, but eventually they were. I'm summarizing the story very very quickly, obviously, um, and they were and they instituted this bracha then, right? Berchat Hatov v'Hametiv, Hashem is good and does good. So, so they established that at Yavna when they were able to finally bury the people who were killed in Betar. They went in and found that they had not de decomposed. So they were, so they were, so they instituted this bracha, right? Hashem is good, meaning and thank you, Hashem, that the corpses didn't de decompose. That that was a miracle that we were able to bury them with dignity, right? And does good that we we're able to bury them, right? So these two two pieces, um, which is something hopefully I'll talk about in a little later. Awesome. Um, all right, then the Gemara gets into allusions to these brachos in the Torah, <laughs> which we will forego for now. Um, okay. And we'll talk a little bit, right? So what we just saw in the Gemara, I have kind of laid out here so we can see it a little bit more in the text. Okay. Moshe composed this first blessing when man fell from heaven to feed Jewish people, right? <clears throat> and we recite it each time we eat. 
Fred, again, I'm quoting myself here. Um, I don't know if that's hubris or just being repetitive, uh, but we recite it every time we eat bread to recognize that ultimately everything we have is from Hashem, even when it's not as obviously miraculous as the man, um, which again is something that I think goes back to that basic point, right? Where uh, Rabbi Sachs pointed out that from the, basically from the Gemara and others certainly point out that the whole idea of benching is that we need to recognize, right? I feel good, I feel full, I feel satisfied, but it's not me, it's God, right? Even if it doesn't look like it's God, it's still God, right? And that was a an idea that Abram had to kind of talk people through. And it's an idea that we might say that we believe, but we need to be reminded once in a while, right? If we have this mandate every time we eat, right? So every time we're really satisfied, we have a real full meal, we need to thank Hashem for it because it's, it's not obviously miraculous in this day and age, right? In our, in our lives today. So we need to remember that it's Hashem who gives food to all. The second blessing, right? the thanksgiving for the land of Israel and other gifts. Now, this one, I think, if we're looking for thematic connections to Pesach and the Seder night, right, and the, and the story of the Exodus, then certainly we find it here, right? This one is important. That's why I want to make sure to take a look at the text. This is a blessing that expresses gratitude for the land, right? Right, that you gave to our forefathers a, this great wide expanse of land, it's such a good land, and that you took us out of the land of Egypt and redeemed us from being slaves. Right, for the for the covenant of circumcision that's implanted in the Jewish you know, flesh. Um, Torah that you teach us, right, and your laws that you've made known to us, and by the way, life that you give us, right, um, all these things that you give us. Hashem, and it's specifically referred to as land, right? And we go on. So we thank you for all of it. Um, as it's written, right? That you should eat and bless and, I'm sorry, and be satisfied and bless Hashem, right? For this good land. And that that is the Pasuk. That's the essence, right? That's the Pasuk source for the obligation of grace after meals. And again, it's in it, we mention it in benching itself in the context of the blessing for taking us out of Egypt and bringing us to this land, to this you know great land um, that we have, and that's that is the story of the Exodus, and that is certainly a key theme that comes up in that benching. Which hopefully you know I saw um, I saw one piece by Sivana Havmeir where she kind of just you know points out in passing that this makes it more special, right? This is you know something that we say all year, and and on this evening Zemiuchadioter, she said literally it's it's more unique, it's more special, right? So even something that is same old, same old, or seems that way all year round, hopefully we can, you know, kind of zero in, even just be on a basic level on some of the words on that Seder night and say, oh, yeah, this is exactly what we're talking about, right? Now it has more meaning, um, or now I can recognize the meaning more. The, and then the third blessing, right? Here, I would say, and I'm gonna, you know, kind of link this and take it in a different direction in a minute, um, Third blessing when we have this prayer from David and Shlomo uh, for Yerushalayim, for Am Yisrael, and for the base of Mikdash, right? These are these are prayers, right? Even with the base of Mikdash destroyed, right? Why are we saying this bracha about something we don't have anymore? Because we still appreciate, right? We still show appreciation for what we have had and what we have now and what we will have, God willing, in the past, in the future, right? And ask, we add a prayer asking Hashem to restore it. Um, and that's where we insert the special special prayers for Shabbos and for Yom Tov. We're not going to talk about those right now. 
the fourth blessing, I think also, um, you know, we'll, we'll come to a point in a minute after sort of going through these, right? The fourth blessing, again, was instituted in Be after Betar, right? After this massacre in Betar, and when they were finally allowed in to bury the dead, um, they found that the bodies had not decomposed, right? So it's, this fascinates me, actually. When I when I was first, you know, sort of researching to write my little introductions and commentaries um, for my for my daughter's Bat adventure, uh, <laughs> I was really struck by this, right? The idea that what they're saying was, right, this was a terrible situation, right? It was terrible what happened in Betar. The fact that the whole revolt was, you know, wiped out, right? These were all terrible things. All these people died. And yet, wow, Hatov Bahamiti, Hashem kept the bodies intact and he helped us get back to bury them. This is amazing. Hatov Bahamiti, he's good, he does good, right? Imagine, imagine the emotion that would have gone into reacting in that way, right? And saying that it can, so perhaps this bracha, and remind us to appreciate what Hashem does for us, even in the midst of terrible situations, right? The ability to really look at that and say, wow, like, this is an awful thing happened here, but I can appreciate the good also alongside. Um, that takes a lot, I think. And, you know, thinking about the bracha in that, in that context, hopefully should inspire um, and also hopefully bring us to a connection to Pesach, right, in particular, and to Seder night, because all over, right, the, all four of these brachos, that we just ran through were spontaneous. The Gemara tells us they were all spontaneous expressions of thanks for particular events, right, when they were written, which now, right, now it can be hard to relate to them because it's sort of, oh, yeah, right, the same same words, same words, I say this every day, right, but, the, um, but if we think about where they came from, then not only the words and the ideas, but even just the writing of them, right, even just the composition of them is something that I think um, should help us remember that is not only important to recite standardized prayers, right, which is what these are to us today, but also to acknowledge what Hashem does for us in the moments in our own lives, right, and to be able to say, right, to whether we compose a, you know, formal prayer, whether, it, you know, that may or may not be accepted as part of the liturgy 500 years from now, or whether we just take a moment to express our appreciation to God in an informal, you know, spontaneous sort of way, um, that I think that the whole idea, the whole origin, when we think about where benching comes from, where the, these paragraphs come from, that of those four um, blessings really helps solidify that message, right? And we might, you know, if we take, a, if we can take a step back and think about it in those terms, um, and that resonates to me particularly strongly, actually, in terms of the essence of Seder night. And this again, I'm gonna, it's a little bit borrowed from, oops, I'm um, from my year on Hallel last year. Uh, where we talked about the flow in the in the Seder from as described in the Mishnah Msachim, right? But we also say it in the Haggadah, I just have it there from the Mishnah. And, and so what do we do? Right. And how do how do we flow from through through the Seder? So I start here from the second cup of wine, right? And then we have Magid, right? The son asks questions of his father, and the father responds, right? And they go through and they talk about the story and the all three things that you have to make sure to say. And then how does Magid conclude? The whole door by door, right? Famous line, right? That in every generation, we have to see ourselves as if we personally left Egypt. As it's stated, right? What's the Pasuk source for that? Therefore, we're obligated to praise and thank and laud and glorify and exalt and bless, right? Um, again, we have this sort of blurring here of Hallel and Bracha, right? Hallel and Barich, maybe, um, serving, you know, blurring the lines between the purposes they serve. So what's going on here, right? The idea that 
why do we praise God at the Seder? Right? Why do we say hello? And maybe why do we bench and right? bless God at the Seder? Because we're supposed to see ourselves as if we left Egypt, because we're not supposed to just be saying words, right? Saying, reciting liturgy like we always do. And that, again, is part of um, how we can think about the differences and the ways that Hallow the Seder ends up, is done differently from other times, because it's done, it's supposed to be more of a spontaneous reaction, right? We're putting ourselves into this experience and trying to relive this experience. And that, to me, right, goes back to the idea that how, where do we get the brachos? of Birkat HaMazon, right, those first four brachos, from people responding, right, to their experiences, right? They're all, they were all originally spontaneous reactions to experiences of the good that God does for, <laughs> for the Jewish people that he has done, that we, you know, hopefully continue to see in our lives, that he will do, right? So something that hopefully we bring into our everyday life to remember to recognize, you know, this sandwich that I just had doesn't look like it came from God, but it came from God, right? This <clears throat> opportunity that, you know, that I have, this thing that I was successful in, right? I can appreciate God's hand in all of those things. And when I'm telling the story of Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim, and I'm not just telling it, but I'm trying to put myself into the shoes of the people of Bnei Israel who left Egypt, and I'm trying to relive and recreate that experience in my own heart to be able to say, ah, oh, and that's why I'm praising God because I feel it, because I am imagining being, living through these miracles, and there's only one response to living through such miracles, right? There's such miraculous salvation is to say hallel and to bless, right? And barich as well, perhaps, is it we can actually bring into that picture as well. Um, and when we, we can take a, another angle on that idea as well, but I keep turning the pages the wrong way. Um, Again, going back to the Rabbi Sachs Haggadah, uh, he talks about, this is not the only place that he talks about this, but he has this, this terminology of the three concentric circles of holiness. Right? He says the, he talks about the first three, three blessings as the original form of Birkat HaMazon because the fourth bracha was added so much later. Um, he says the first three are really the, the core, uh, or Sachs puts it. He says, very convenient, right? Three blessings, three concentric circles of holiness. The first is for the world, the second for the land of Israel, and the third for Yerushalayim, right? Uh, and then the base of Mikdash. So in the first bracha, Yerkad Hazan, he says, we, we thank God for sustaining all of humanity. In the second bracha, we thank him for a special providence over the land of Israel, right? The special things that he gives to us. And Rabbi Sachs focuses, you know, we do refer to it as Yerkad Aretz, but obviously there are other things there that relate to the uniqueness of B'nai Israel, right? First Mila, the Torah, right? Uh, and then in the third bracha, we acknowledge his presence in the holy city of Yerushalayim, right, and and the um, and the Smikdash. So the order of these blessings represent the threefold nature of Jewish identity. First, we're citizens of the world, and I would say, you know, I assume he means first and in a primary sort of way, um, like importance, right, or you know, we're sort of going through, but also chronologically, right. I would say chronologically as well. We start with Avram, right. We start and Terach, right. Originally, we were just part of the world, right? We say in the Haggadah, this is the story that we're telling in the Haggadah, is moving through these, what Rabbi Sachs calls three concentric circles of holiness, right? We start off as part of the world, right? Worshipping Avodah just like everybody else. That was our beginning, right? Then, we're, but next, we're Jews, right? Faithful to our people, engaged in the long journey to the land of Israel, right? Just like our ancestors were, right? And that's, you know, sort of narrowing in from our ancestors and, you know, Terach uh, being Ovdeh Vodazara, 
through Avram and the promise to Avram that his children will be strangers in a strange land, but will come out with a great treasure and become God's nation and go to the, and go back to Eretz Canaan that way, right? That's the second bracha. The and third. Third, there's a part of us that belongs to Yerushalayim, right? When the temple was destroyed, so the sages fragment of its stones entered the hearts of the Jewish people. I don't think that's a line I had heard before, but I want to find the source because it seems very beautiful and impactful. Um, to imagine the stones of, of the Mesa Mikdash sort of, you know, ingrained in our hearts. Um, it remained and still remains the focus of the Jewish imagination, right? And this is something that, I don't know if others, you know, have are thinking in these terms also, but it strikes me that this is kind of what the um, process that we outlined in Dayenu, right? Each of these stages, God, it would have been enough for us. God, it would have been enough for us, right? If you took about, if you took us out of Egypt, if you um, if you gave us the Torah but didn't bring us into Eretz Israel, if you brought us into Eretz Israel but didn't give us the temple, right? Any one of these consent, these circles of holiness, right, and many stages along the way, because Dayenu has fifteen lines and this is only three um, levels of holiness. But each one of those, right? The, we talk about that process and we say, "Wow, Hashem, we appreciate all of this." Right, and we're and it's that appreciation for each of those stages that comes out in our Birkat Hamazon, and it comes out in our Birkat Hamazon on any Tuesday of the year, and it also that it perhaps is intensified um, when we say these things and we go over these messages and we hopefully concentrate on what we're saying at the seder in the context of telling that story and it living the, and reliving the story of the Exodus. The um, Rabbi Golden also, and I mentioned that. This is a very particularly long handout. I don't necessarily recommend printing it out uh, unless you, you know, want, really want to. Um, but I included here a whole bunch of text also from Rabbi Shmuel Golden's um, Unlocking the Haggadah, which I haven't had for very long. It was very well done. Um, I had heard good things and, and they seem to be true. Um, but he talks about different, you know, sort of perspectives or angles on the Seder overall. Um, so the third one he talks about is the experiential, which I think is really what ties into to what we've been saying. And he talks about the Seder as, again, this sort of division, right, of being divided between past, present, and future. He says what we do before the Seder, and I encourage you, you know, again, things to think about during the Seder to highlight, to sort of deepen the experience, right? Um, so kind of look for, look for this in the Seder as, as you, you know, prepare for it, as you go through it um, on, on Pesach. He says the things before the meal focus on the past. The meal apparently is in the is the present, right? Which makes sense, right? We eat, we live in the present, right? This certainly makes sense. And he says the future and everything that we say after the meal focuses on the future. So again, we have this idea, right? And we can't, we don't have the time to go through everything he says, although I certainly put a lot of it on here. Um, but he again talks about the Seder as bringing us through this trajectory, right? Of our past, our present, and our future. And again, sort of living through that, which are which is an outline, right? Which is a trajectory and a and a process that I think is really highlighted by those three brach- by those three four brachos of Birkat Hamazon. Um, if we can think about it, you know, in that connection, then hopefully enhance how we how we bench again any day of the year, and specifically on the seder when those themes really come to the forefront. Uh, one thing that I will mention that is unique. In fact, um, to Birkat Amazon on Seder nights, at least in many um, Ashkenazi minhagim, um, is the Harachmans. Um, so Harachmans 
you know, how they, how they developed is a whole fascinating story and it's not all so clear, um, you know, kind of when and how and where each one arose. Um, there's a whole discussion in itself. Um, we do have them very early. Um, they're attested in very early manuscripts. You know, people think that they're kind of later, but they, it seems that um, even from the time, you know, Sidoran and Haggadahs were first being printed, the Harachamans were being included. And it happens that there's a Harachaman that we say for Yom Tov, right? This is the text from, well, again, my, my standard venture, but from the Haggadah, the Ashkenazi Haggadah at least, um, there is at least in brackets, right? So again, not everyone, not every Haggadah has this, and not everyone has it. There are some communities where it's said all year round, not just on Pesach, but from most seem to have it as something spe special for Pesach. We don't just say Harachman Yom Yom We add Yom Shikulo Aruch, right? It's not just good, but it's long. And a day that Sadikim will be sitting and there are crowns on their heads and you know, basking in the radiance of, of the Shekhinah, right? Um, our portion should be with them. All right, so we have this whole long thing. He seems to originate in a book called Kitzur Shla. Um, it's a, like an abbreviated and expanded um, version of the Shneilukon Habrit. Uh, all sorts of things on here. Uh, to have that sort of expanded Harachman on Pesach night. It's not so clear, and it's funny, you know, I, I see, um, you know, we talk about the origins of the phrasing, right, which is on here, but it's, you know, we're, theoretically, we're supposed to be ending now, except that we started late. Um, so I will not go through all of this, but there are, you know, you can definitely find origins in the Gemara and in different Tfilos and different Prakim of Tehillim for the phraseology that's used both in the regular Harachman and in the um, one for Shabbos and the one for Pesach night. I keep turning the page the wrong way. Um, but this is you know, the source. The Kisr Shla quotes it in the name of the Maharil to say this expanded version on Seder night. Um, that's not clear. It doesn't seem to be in any of the texts of the Maharil or attributed to him anywhere else. But some of what I read, you know, has said that it's certainly possible he did say it and just didn't write it down. Um, whatever, whatever it is, that's you know, it's a long-standing custom in many communities uh, to say this expanded version on Pesach night. And again, we kind of have to think, right? Is there something unique? Like, what is it? Why Pesach night, right? Why do we say this expanded version about, you know, Yimov Mashiach or Olam Haba and basking in, in uh, you know, the glory of the Shekhinah, right? Why is that a specific thing for Seder night? So it could be that it's not um, relevant. The, um, I have some excerpts here. Again, too many excerpts because I was in a hurry. With my copying and pasting, but wrote to Roan um, has a whole article about this, and he kind of says it doesn't matter, right? Like there's nothing, there's no inherent reason. He says there's there's no fundamental reason to that this expanded harachman would not relate to you know the other days of Pesach or to any other Yom Tov, right? But it happens that we say it then. Obviously, there are others who take a different approach and say no, it does it does connect, um, and I think. That since we're out of time, I will not, you know, I will, I will leave that for as food for thought. Um, but I think on a basic level, right, we could kind of say like the whole idea again of the Seder, right, at least from one perspective, um, is to bring us through history, right, to bring us through our past, our present, and our future, and show how all of that comes together and how all of that connects. Um, and I think certainly looking ahead to Yom Shukula Aruch 
So looking ahead to the Alam Haba, right, it certainly makes sense that it would be part of that process and part of that sort of focus and the, the flow of what we're trying to do at the Seder. Um, I thought I had more here from, from, uh, from Ray Golden along those lines, but I guess I don't. Um, I don't know what it meant. I was trying to put it in here. But he kind of says some things along those lines in terms of, like, you know, the the value of what we do in the present, depending on how we bring how we're bringing ourselves from our past and entire future. There's um, one. All right, we have two endings here. Um, if I if you'll indulge me for another couple of minutes, um, one is another piece from Rabbi Sachs Hagada at the very end of benching. Um, and again, so this is really the main place where he focuses in his Haggadah on not just giving, you know, a bit of commentary to Birkan Amazon, but relating it specifically to the to his context as part of the Haggadah. Um, he talks about the line that probably many of us have, have given some thought to at the very end of benching that says, you know, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen anyone, you know, begging for bread. Right? I've never seen anyone go without. And, you know, obvious sort of reaction to that is, you know, poor people are starving people all over the world, right? What does that mean? Um, so he quotes an explanation from Reverend Moshe Kirstein that it's not, I haven't seen, but I haven't stood by and watched, uh, which obviously creates a whole different sort of mindset, right? A whole different spin on what we're saying, right? And we're, rather than saying, wow, God is so, you know, great and generous and giving that nobody goes hungry, right? Because clearly the world is more complex than that. But I, but it's sort of attesting that I would never just stand by and watch when I see that, right? That's not a thing that I do. I I will always help, right? And says, um, but this way, it, it makes sense. And not only does it make sense, it also emerges from the core of Jewish sensibility. It ends the grace after meals with a moral commitment, right? Again, rather than describing what I've seen, co commits to what I'm going to do, right? And the kind of person that I'll be. Yes, we have eaten and are satisfied, but has not made us indifferent to the needs of others. The conclusion of the meal, so understood, echoes the opening of the Seder service with its invitation, right? Remember how we start the Seder, or how we start, you know, Magid, at least, right? Anyone who needs, come and eat, right? What we're doing, part of what we're doing at the Seder, right, is, first of all, like, enhancing, you know, sort of running through our, again, past, present, and future, and saying this is what we're living, right? We're living this process and we're focusing on how we're moving through history and where we're going to bring ourselves, right? And, you know, where, where we're going based on all of this history, right, that we've, that we've been through. Part of that, hopefully, is making this sort of commitment, right? And being this, to be this sort of person who won't just stand idly by when people need help or when things need doing. Um, but there's also the aspect of the Seder itself, right? And the, the meal itself, right? The simple and the joy, and obviously the benching, right, is, is expressing on a basic level, I have eaten and been satisfied, so thank you, Hashem, right? Um, and as we connect that to the Rambam, who writes very important message, uh, very strongly, about the commandment to rejoice on the festivals, right? We're supposed to have simcha on Yom Tov, but Rambam says, not simcha to, not just like to revel in food and drink and, you know, sort of gluttony, um, but part of that responsibility to rejoice on the festivals is to help others rejoice, right? Feed the stranger, the orphan, the widow, other poor and unfortunate people. Because one who locks the doors of his courtyard and eats and drinks with his wife and family without giving anything to eat and drink to the poor and bitter in his soul, his meal is not a rejoicing in a divine commandment, but a rejoicing in his own stomach. 
I love this line. <laughs> Robin is being very real here. Um, so that kind of rejoicing is a disgrace, right? That's not what we're doing. So again, it's, you know, kind of bringing in another angle to this and say to our beer Kavramazon at the Seder specifically and saying it's, you know, it's part of who we are as a nation and it's also part of our rejoicing on this very night, right? Our simcha on this very night at this very table with this very food, we want to open it up to everybody and we want to make sure that we're not leaving anyone out and we want to make sure that everybody can rejoice the way we are. Um, and the last thing I'll say, right, going back to the very basics, it's a beautiful um, midrash about <laughs> this again is the, is the shading and then it's me quoting me. Um, there's, <laughs> there's a dispute, right? We have the Gemara telling us that the, that the Pasuk is telling us to bless when we're satisfied, right? How do we, how do we know when we're satisfied, right? I'm, I'm never sure if I'm satisfied. Oh, I, I eat, but I think I might want to eat more. Should I bench yet? I'm not sure if I'm, I'm still hungry. Maybe I'll eat some more. Right? I get in trouble with that all the time because I think I'm still eating and then I'm not sure what to eat. So then I risk forgetting to bench in time, right? It's a terrible habit, but it's, it's, it's unclear, right? How exactly do we measure it? So Kazal stepped in and said, okay, we're going to measure it for you, right? We're, we're going to make a measurement. Um, and there's a, there's a dispute about the exact measurement, whether it's the size of an olive or a size of an egg. But either way, the rabbinic obligation uh, takes effect long before most people have eaten enough to really be satisfied, right? I know I'm not satisfied with the size of an olive or an egg. Uh, so we say, which means that we end up saying we are kind of Muslim, even more than Hashem requiring us in the, with the Torah obligation. So it's so a Gemara and Brachos, with this Midrash, that um, there's a discussion between God and the angels, right? Happens all the time in Russian, right? God and the angels are talking about people. And, and the angels say, you know what, God, you contradicted yourself, right? Your, your Torah, right? You didn't do such a good job. It's, there's a contradiction in your Torah because the, I'm sure they said it more respectfully than that. Um, so there's one, there's one passage that says God doesn't play favorites, but then there's another passage that says Hashem shall favor his people, right? So what's going on? Does God play favorites and favor the Israel or does he not? And his answer is, how could I not favor B'nai Israel? And why? what is it that B'nai Israel do to or have done to earn God's favor, even though he generally doesn't play favorites, as he himself attests? So it's almost like it's not a contradiction, it's an exception, right? God makes an exception. Why? Because I told them that you'll eat when you eat and, be sat and you're satisfied, you need to bless. But they are careful, even to the point of the size of an olive or an egg, right? And it's something that I think sort of, hopefully it can enhance our appreciation of, again, Birkat HaMazon, and specifically Birkat HaMazon on this night when we're reliving and reenacting and experiencing and commemorating um, the occasion that made us God's special people, right? When, when we say out of all the mitzvahs we do, it's our zeal for Birkat HaMazon that, according to the Midrash, earns us special favor from the very, you know, generally unbiased God, right? Who, doesn't want to ever show any favoritism or anything like that, but it's it's the benching, right? It's the recognition, right? What we're doing when we save your Muslim and our zeal for your Muslim is, you know, kind of cuts through that. And so, okay, you, you know what you do to serve a little favoritism, right? Um, and that's something that, you know, hopefully we are able to demonstrate uh, when we save your Muslim all the time. And certainly on, on this night when we, you know, commemorate becoming God's people and then and creating that trajectory of past, past, present, and future that's going to take us into um, our future as as Oak Hashem. Uh, thank you so much for for bearing with me. I hope it was okay that I went over since we started our late. Uh, thanks for learning with me. Everyone, Shabbat Shalom, Kasher,